Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial serving the new york city metropolitan area spreading the truth of the catholic faith also please remember to download the veritas catholic radio network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. No matter where you are, you can listen to all of our content. I don't care if you're in Alaska or Timbuktu. It doesn't matter that we're out of the New York City area uh, because with the app, you can listen to everything, and we would encourage you to do so. If you'd like to provide some feedback to the station on all of our shows, please feel free to do so. We would certainly welcome any feedback at VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com. And finally, if you would like, please support Joe and I wherever you find us, uh, on social media, primarily uh, the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube, or the FrontlineTV.com, the FrontlineTV.com, which is our website if you'd like to support us. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Clement Harold, and we're going to be discussing uh, a recent publication of his through the St. Paul Center, which is Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings. Now, some of you out there know Clem Harold, uh, but for those of you who do not, a brief introduction, Clement Harold is a junior research fellow at the St. Paul Center, um, and we're going to get into the St. Paul Center in the conversation. Originally from Wiltshire, England, uh, Clement is a graduate of the Franciscan University in Steubenville, Illinois, uh, excuse me, Steubenville, Ohio, where he graduated with a triple major in theology, philosophy and classics heavy clem you're a heavy guy <laughs> theology philosophy and classics um and a minor in german so you gotta love it clem and harold welcome to the front line with joe and joe thank you so much it's very good to be here excellent joe resinello i'm gonna hand it over to you clem we always start with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer in the name of the father son holy spirit amen Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. Clem, let's jump right into it. I mean, as Joe said in the bio, you're from England. How'd you hear about Franciscan? I mean, like... We, you know, in Catholic circles, people know about the university, but I'll be honest with you, in secular circles and even in some lukewarm Catholic circles in America, no one knows about Franciscan University. I'll be honest with you. If you mention it, you know, in, in like corporate settings or, or, or like, how did you hear about it? And uh, what were you, what was your experience there? I had an amazing experience at Franciscan and I'd heard about it since I was a young kid. I think it's, reputation extends really beyond just the United States, but it has a worldwide reputation for being this sort of bastion of orthodoxy. And so for me, being raised in modern day England, which is something of a, a spiritual wilderness, I always, always had that desire to try and get better formation at the college level, knowing that I couldn't find that in the UK. And so when I got to about 16, 17, I began really looking into places like Franciscan, and it didn't seem at all likely that I could pull it off financially and uh, just practically making it work. But one thing kind of led to the other. God really showed me the way there because I had a desire to study theology, especially. I was very happy to get that Catholic formation. And so I showed up in the States in the fall of 2017. And you guys haven't got rid of me yet. So I've been here ever since. And Franciscan served me very well. It was just a really blessed experience. And it's a place that like anywhere, it's not perfect, but it really does an amazing job at trying to just give students the formation they, they deserve as sons and daughters of Christ, teaching them not just 
what you need to know to succeed in life, but who you need to know, and that who being Jesus Christ. And so Franciscan really did that for me. It's funny that you say that uh, you come from a spiritual wilderness in in England. <laughs> I'm wondering if we're any less wild as far as that goes oh, in, uh, in, in America. Um, I mean, seriously, but I we say here, Clem Harrell joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasola, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We say all the time we need to support our Catholic organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a shame that so few American Catholics in particular um, are practicing their faith. There's a number of reasons for that. That's not a judgmental statement. There's a, there's a number, uh, I think, of, of good reasons why you could, reasons you could point to to say where the faith has dropped off in America. But as much as we can, we need to support Veritas Catholic Network and other radio stations. We need to support our authentically Catholic universities, okay, like Christendom, like St. Paul Center and others. Uh, Joe, what's the name of that list where you could find authentically Oh, the Newman List. The Newman Mm. List, okay. Um, Other organizations, apostolates. Listen, Clem, if we could spend money on HBO, not that Joe and I do, okay, or Netflix, when we certainly could, we could take some money um, and we could and we could support these organizations. Now, having said all that, I want to segue into this question. Um, Tell our listeners, what, what does the St. Paul Center do? Why, why ought our listeners buy your book? And we, we will get into your book um, and, and other authors coming out of the St. Paul Center and in general, what the St. Paul Center does. The St. Paul Center believes that we need to reclaim the centrality of sacred scripture, not only in the church, but also in our world, in our Western culture. That to me is the mission. We talk a lot about reading sacred scripture from the heart of the church And we have this belief, this kind of passion that we need lay people to reach biblical literacy and we need priests and bishops to reach biblical fluency. That's the kind of vision that we have for the church, because, like I say, we believe that the sacred scriptures, the Bible is this collection of books, which is at the heart of the West. It's at the heart of world history. It is the great book which defines the rest of civilization and change the world forever. And it tells us the story of a father who loves us and who sent his son to die for us. And so the mission of the St. Paul Center, I would say, is all of those things. It's really what we see ourselves as is the Catholic apostolate for unlocking the sacred scriptures. And I think in, uh, especially in the States where you have a lot of different Christian denominations, that mission becomes especially important because As we know, as Catholics, we don't want to say, oh, the Bible, that's sort of the thing that Protestants do, it's the evangelical Christians do. No, the Bible is a Catholic book, and we at the St. Paul Center were saying we need to be continually reclaiming it and and kind of staking it out as such. Clem Arrow, we're going to be talking about your book, and we're going, to, we're going to dive into it. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I would encourage anybody out there, um, and I think you'll, I know you'll back me up on this, Clem. If, if you're thinking about the Catholic faith, if you're a Protestant, if you're under this impression that, uh, that, the, that the Bible alone is all there is, and you dismiss the Catholic Church, and you don't need the Church, you just need the Bible, go listen to John Bergsma. Mm. That's what I would say. I have been so inspired by that man. He's a he's a friend of the show. At the Joe, I think we what he's been on twice. Yeah, two Mm. times. Um, And I would say to any of our Protestant brothers and sisters, if you really want to go deep into Scripture, all right, I know that's an EWTN show, but deep into Scripture, okay? Yes, Saint Paul Center is a great resource. I mentioned John Bergsman in particular, but there's you know you have obviously Scott Hahn and everybody else. But today we want to talk about your book. Uh, which is um, Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Well, why Lent, Clem? I mean, why did you write? Obviously, Lent is an important time. Um, I'll be truthful with you. Uh, This is horrible to say. I despise Lent. I get a lot out of it, but I never look forward to it. Some people are like, I love Lent. I because I've and I say that because I take Lent serious and Lent is to me going into the wilderness. It has been for to be honest with you, since I was in my 20s, I'm 51 years old. Um, it, it, you know, it's a special time of grace. But why did you, you know, there's a lot of periods, you know, in the church that we could write about. Why Lent? Yeah, Lent, well, the short answer is I was asked to write this book. And so I, I didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. Uh, but I would say the longer answer, the reason I was picked is because we had this desire to help people 
help Catholics, daily mass goers especially, unlock more of the scriptures during their Lenten journey. And part of the motivation for that is when you do go to daily mass during Lent, or at least when you're reading the mass readings, you realize pretty quickly that the church is giving us this incredible, rich inventory of scripture readings during Lent. It's really, I talk in the book a little bit about, it's almost as if the church is bringing up the big guns and it's saying of this whole panorama of sacred history, we're going to draw on the highlights. We're going to say, these are the essentials. These are the fundamentals for what it means to live as a Christian. Looking back to the way that God's worked through history, through the Jewish people, through Israel, and how that's been fulfilled in Christ, and how Christ's own life is a preparation for his death. And that's what we're called to participate in, in Lent. So I would say, again, short answer is, I was asked to write it. Longer answer is Lent, I think, is a time when we all need a bit of help. And turning to the scriptures is one way to find that sort of encouragement, where we find that we're not alone. Uh, and there's many people that came before us, both Jew and Christian, who had the same struggles that we did. And we're invited to participate in that. We participate in the 40 years in the wilderness that Israel had. We participate in the 40 days in the desert that our Lord went through. And Clem Harold's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Clem is a junior research fellow at the St. Paul Center. His recent book, Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings. Uh, Clem, just on a personal note, have you grown spiritually, um, whether whether leading up to writing this book or during the writing of this book? How has, how has writing this book on Lenten Reflections affected your own spiritual growth? Writing the book definitely did a lot for me because it forced me to embrace the scriptures and encounter the scriptures in a new way. And I'm someone who my faith, I don't hold it up on a pedestal. I, there are many, many people with much deeper, stronger faith than me. Uh, I'm not great at paying attention in mass. I'm not great at good works. You know, I, I struggle with all these things, but the one thing I'm convinced of almost more than anything is that there is real power in God's word. And this, this, this book we have, this collection of books, has in so many ways touched my life, especially in a group setting where I'd be sitting oftentimes in college in a group Bible setting, and there would be these passages, these parables, which I'd read hundreds of times before. I'm sitting there thinking there's no way I could get anything else out of this, and it suddenly comes to life, the Holy Spirit working in that room through the people around me. And so what this book did for me, it was that same experience of actually having to wrestle with the scriptures, including the ones that I would rather skip. You know, there's, there's, you know, Wednesday in the second week of Lent, can we just pass over that one? Jesus is saying something strange again. I'm not sure what to make of it, but not having that, that option and really having to say, okay, Lord, I can study this, but I also need to pray through it. What do you want me to get out of this? And how do I communicate that to people who are going to read this? I think that's so important because I, I, I just happened to have a thought as you were talking that went through my head. My, my father, when I was growing up, he used to say, you know, you only do enough to get by. Talking about school. The only that was I was generally in in high school and college a C plus student. I think the last time I made the honor roll, I was in fifth grade. Okay, um, <laughs> but I was a C plus student, and and I'm trying. I always try to remember that as a lesson, because I did only do enough to get by, and we as Catholics can't afford to do that. Mm. And I was that thought came into my head as you were speaking. We can always learn more. Struggle is really what came to me. You used the word mm. struggle to struggle yeah. through it. Part of the way we do that, Clem, is I think to look to inspiration from people like yourself, from the St. Paul Center, from those out there who are who are putting the information out there that is going to allow us to not be that C-plus student. Mm. To, yes, you're passing if you're a C-plus, you'll go to heaven, of course, but don't you want to? Don't you want to be that that A-plus student? Mm -hmm. And what you do, what the St. Paul Center does and many others out there is you give us all the resources we need um, to, to be able to uh, achieve that. And, and mm -hmm. that's my long-winded way of saying thank you for what you do. But we want to keep going in the book. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. How did you basically incorporate, because I want to talk a little bit about the structure, how you structured the book, uh, both the Old and New uh, Testaments in these reflections, because both of which um, point, obviously, to the resurrection. And, and obviously, the Old Testament, you know, is linked to the new testament particularly in the passion of christ so how, how did you link them together and basically put this book together from a structural perspective it varies from one day to the next 
to some extent. I always try to touch on at least the first reading in the gospel, but then the psalm sometimes uh, included, sometimes not. And then on Sundays, it gets more complicated because there's more ground to cover. But for me, I would say a point that I try to return to again and again in the book is identifying something which I've often struggled with in my own intellectual, spiritual journey, which is when I'm approaching the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, I sometimes struggle to know what is the big picture perspective. And I think this is a lot of Catholics. We've all had that experience of sitting in the pew during mass and you get some reading from Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah and the, the reader gets to the end and you're thinking, what on earth was that about? And, and I think this can cause something of a, a sense of trepidation for your regular Catholic because we look at the Old Testament and yeah, there's the really nice, beautiful parts. There's some Psalms I like. There's the story of the burning bush, the story of Jacob wrestling with God, all these things. But then there's a lot of parts that I feel rather more uncomfortable about. There's the, the weeds and it feels quite daunting. It's a lot of names, a lot of places maybe certain parts of it which feel a little offensive to our modern sensibilities. And so what I try to do in the book is continually, as you said, Joe, is, is show how the old is always pointing forward to the new. And that I think is sometimes, that can become a bit of a cliche. It's a sort of theological uh, buzz term, you know, the old is fulfilled and the new, the new is concealed in the old. What does that actually mean in practice? Well, I think what it means is that the Old Testament itself knows that it's not enough. And the whole of the Old Testament has this kind of inner longing, this inner groaning for the coming of Christ. Why? Because it knows that it can't do everything it wants to do on its own. It knows that God's promises can't be fulfilled in the old alone, but it's going to require the grace of Christ to actually make that effective. And so you have Moses, who, yes, he talks with God, but he also is ultimately disobedient. And you have David, who's a man after God's own heart, and yet he's ultimately unfaithful. And so even the heroes of the Old Testament, they still fail, they still fall. What do they need? They need Christ. And so I'd say that's in terms of the structure, what I try to do throughout is continually say, look, these things that we have in the old, which are sometimes more difficult, sometimes more confusing, they do ultimately make sense in light of Christ. He's the one who allows us to read them. He's the one who allows us to interpret them. Clem Harold is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Clem is at uh, Francis, excuse me, St. Paul Center. He's a junior research fellow. We're discussing his recent publication, Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings. Clem, real quick, we'll give you another opportunity also as we move along. Where can folks buy the book? You can go to stpaulcenter.com. I believe it's just on the front webpage, uh, our Lenten resources, not just the book, which is available. There's a free online PDF copy or you can buy the, the paperback. Uh, but there's also some video streaming, some online free video streaming from Dr. Hahn, which is also accessible at stpaulcenter.com. So let me let me ask you this. Obviously, Lent, Joe, Joe mentioned he hates Lent, okay? Um, I, and again, I'm, I'm a C-plus student during Lent. I mean, I, 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 generally speaking, my wife throws so much on the plate that I generally fail with half of it. Um, but that's okay, because... She's my wife, and she's directing me in the right way. People have, I think, a misconception of ascetical practices, okay? Um, uh, like, well, like, why do I have to give anything up? Why, why, you know, what's this idea of not eating meat on, on Wednesdays and Fridays? Why so authoritarian? I mean, Clem, I'm sure you've heard it a million times. But they are important yeah. to detach to a degree to give something up, something particularly that you like. And like doing why are these ascetical practices important why does the church teach during this 40-day period uh there's obviously advent also but just keep it with lent during this 40-day period of lent to give something up why is that beneficial might sound like an obvious question but i'm curious i want to know your take on that it's an important question and i think one thing that's worth keeping in mind is a sense of perspective you know when you look back to the middle ages the way they approach lent uh, I mean, if we hate it now, which many of us do, I don't know how we would have stood it then. They would give up meat generally. Uh, married couples would give up conjugal relations. They would give up dairy products, give up alcohol, added prayer, added mortification. Uh, they, were, they were certainly more hardcore, I think, than we are today. Why do you do all these things? Why do we continue today to do fasting? I think for the Christian, it's really important to understand that we are body and soul, and our bodies are good, but they're also corrupted by the fall. And so we have to keep all those things in perspective. 
we are our bodies, our bodies are good, but they've also been corrupted. And so why do we fast? We fast as a corrective to our disordered desires. So we go through the process of asceticism, the process of fasting to reorder our desires towards the good. How does that work exactly? Well, it's that act of self-renunciation where I say, hey, I'm going to forego that thing, which is actually good. That chocolate cake is a good. It's something that's pleasurable. It brings joy, helps foster community. Maybe that glass of wine, maybe that warm shower, whatever it is, these are all goods. They're not evil. They're not bad. But we voluntarily forego them in order to teach ourselves, to discipline ourselves, to crucify ourselves, to help us get our ordered, uh, to help us get our desires reordered, to help get them back on track. So that's the kind of perspective I would suggest that we have as Christians. It's not this hatred of the body. It's precisely a love of the body, a love of self, a love of the body as our temple of the spirit, which enables us to say, hey, this is actually really important and this is worthwhile, even though it is really difficult and we shouldn't shy away from that. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, because again, to give things up and, and, and depending on to the degree that you do it, it could be challenging. But what I have found in my journeys through Lent is that it's a time of grace. And I've always looked at it as, as a time of emptying the cup to allow God to fill mm. me with himself. I mean, what it, our, our church tells us to pray, to fast and to give alms and your father will reward you in secret. Let's talk about the reward because I do think Yes, I agree with you 100%. You have to have self-discipline, and Lent teaches us that. You have to be in control of you, you know, even to be like a successful adult. If you're not Catholic, if you're not in control of your passions, you're not going to be a successful adult. I'm not even talking about money. I'm just talking about living. But let's talk about the rewards of grace, like because I feel that when we empty ourselves – God fills us with himself, and I have gotten graces out of Lent as a result of that. Could we talk about that? Because I think sometimes if someone – I always think like people are listening to us. They're like, these three guys are crazy. They're, they're, they're just beating themselves up. Well, you know? we are. Well, they're kind of. That's a, that's a story. Another story for another day. But, I mean, like why, why do Catholics like torture themselves? No. You're, it's, it's, it's to do something to get something, and that something is grace. Hmm. 100%. I, I think you, you put it very well yourself. Scott Hahn here at the center, he likes to talk about the fact that we're, we're so preoccupied with fasting from that we forget about fasting for. What are we fasting for? And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Joe, when you said that uh, even from a secular perspective, renunciation of self, uh, mortifying the flesh, letting go of some of your passions and desires, that's not just being a Christian 101, that's being an adult 101. That's about being a successful human being. And that's why you see that in antiquity, people, some of the Stoic thinkers, people like Marcus Aurelius talk about this need to overcome our desires. And then likewise, people today, I'm thinking of people like uh, Jock Willing. He's a, he's a very popular uh, sort of self-help guy. People like Joe Rogan, who will spend a lot of time in the gym. They'll have very intense diets. They'll maybe even do things like meditation. Why? Because there's this secular understanding that this is important for being successful, for having that freedom, that inner freedom to be who you want to be. So I think the Christian really just takes that and says, yeah, that's a good start. And now we're going to, we're going to sanctify it. We're going to extend it. So what's it for? Like you say, it's for grace. It's for that radical sense of freedom, which Christ promises us. There's the famous line in John's gospel, the truth will set you free. But we also should remember a couple of verses later where he says that anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. And so I think waging spiritual battle through prayer, through fasting, through almsgiving is all about this process of liberating ourselves so that we're no longer slaves, we're sons. And that's an exciting reality. And it is, it's definitely hard. It's not, it's not always a walk in the park, but it's really worth it. And I think part of what Lent does, which is so great, is firstly, it's, it's a limited amount of time. So we sort of turbocharge our, our spiritual immune systems for 40 days. But secondly, is I'm not doing it alone. And for me, this is very comforting. Is every time I go to mass, I know I'm surrounded by people who are just as miserable as I am. And that we're all kind of in this together. We're all looking forward to Easter, where we know that the 40 days of Lent are going to be replaced by the 50 days of Easter. 
And so I think those factors help us to keep it in perspective where we can even have a joy when it comes to suffering, which I think is something which the Christian has, which maybe the pagan lacks. Clem Harrell joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rasinol on the Veritas Catholic Network. Clem, how important is that? We started this conversation, you were talking about the spiritual wilderness that is England. Mm. Um, obviously, in America, we live in a spiritual wilderness. A blind man could see it, okay? Mm. Why? Talk about the importance of particularly Catholic men, okay? We're talking about Lent. We're talking about self-sacrifice. Yeah. Would you agree with one of the major themes of, of what Joe and I usually talk about, whether on social media or with our guests, is that we need to be that example in basically a cultural and societal swamp? And one of the ways we do that is through the, the renunciation of self, even if it's something small and even if it's for only 40 days. Because we live at a time, and the reason why England and America and many other places in the world, Europe in general, um, is a spiritual wilderness is because we do not subordinate our passions to our reason. We subordinate our reason to our passions. Now, whether you're, you mentioned those who are secular, whether you're Catholic or not, if you can't recognize the bad fruit of that kind of living, then I don't know what to tell you. And I love your comments on that, Clem Harold. 100%. I think uh, you... You identify something very close to my own heart, which is that when we look at the world around us, we see, I know, again, it's become almost cliche at this point, but we see this crisis of manhood. We see this crisis of fatherhood. We see so many homes, so many families, which lack either a physical father or a spiritual father. Maybe the father is physically there, but he's not being a true father. And we see the cultural havoc that that wreaks. You know, I when I look uh, at young men in my life, the struggles with pornography, the struggles with addiction, the struggles with a, just a profound sense of hopelessness, not knowing anymore what it means to be a man, feeling like they're between a rock and the hard place. The rock is their desires, which they, they, they know are not going to lead, lead them to fulfillment. But then the hard place is a culture which demeans them and degrades them and says, doesn't even give them any direction about what it means to be a man, doesn't give them any sense of challenge, any sense of adventure, which is so integral to authentic masculinity. And so I think you're totally right, Joe, is that what the church offers us, especially as men, is it offers us a challenge. It actually respects our dignity and worth by saying, you were made for something so much greater, and yes, so much harder than what the world is offering you. And there's something very deep in the heart of every man that responds to that with with vigor, with excitement, with passion. I think it's part of the reason why people like Jordan Peterson, you might be familiar with his work, they're so popular, especially among young men, because they're saying what we wanna hear, which is that there's something more on offer. What the world is giving is, it's ultimately unappealing. And I know that I'm called to responsibility, I'm called to self-sacrifice, I'm called to self-giving. And so I think Lent does become an integral part of that, because in a sense, I think for the Christian Lent, Lent's this hyper-focused period of doing all these things, but ultimately what Lent is trying to get us to realize is that it should be setting the pattern for the whole of our lives, is that we should always be taking prayer seriously. We should always be sacrificing ourselves. We should always be helping the poor and giving alms. And so I think Lent in many ways has a lot to teach us as men today. I agree 100%. And, and you know, it's not just for Lent. I'm glad you said, said that. Like, it's a time to set up patterns and then continue them and asceticism is also for outside of lent in the in the liturgical year fast on friday um mm. joe and i have talked about this on social media like um you know people are frustrated with what's going on in the church i used to be so frustrated that i found i was banging my head against the wall and the blood on the wall was my own yeah. so what do i do now i fast on Wednesday for the church. And my heart changed. I have found to be, I am more peaceful. Like I, I focused my aggravation towards that. And I, do we have to go towards the break, Joe? We, 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 yeah, Joe, I'm sorry. It's a great point, Joe. And I'd love for you to come back to it after the break and get Clem's thoughts on that. Clem Harold is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're going to take a little break. Uh, for those of you just joining us, Clem has written a new book, Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings. Um, and uh, Clem is a junior research fellow at the St. Paul Center. Clem, and people can buy the book at the, to go on the website, correct, at the St. Paul Center? That's right, stpaulcenter.com. 
jpaulcenter.com. So this is a great conversation. It's an important conversation. So stick with the front line with Joe and Joe uh, being joined by Clem Harold. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network being joined by Clem Harold of the St. Paul Center, and we are discussing his new book, Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings. Joe, you were making a point uh, before the break, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to, uh, to maybe expand on that a little bit more. I was just saying, like, to embrace aesthetic practices outside of Lent, to channel, say, frustrations, or to say you want to achieve a certain grace, something you're working on, um, that's a healthy practice. Uh, I, I mean, in the beginning of every Lent, what does uh, the prophet Joel says? He said, rend your heart, not your garments. It's about your heart. It's not uh, like, you know, talk about that and, and talk about, like I said, to may, maybe look at past Lent and carry those practices forward. You could only be better for it. Yeah, there's an irony, I think, uh, with the beginning of Lent that you have Ash Wednesday. And like you say, we read from Joel chapter two and we're told, uh, rend not your garments, rend your hearts. And then everyone in the congregation lines up to go and get a very public ash splattered oftentimes over their forehead. And you're thinking, wait a second, I thought the whole point was we're doing interior conversion, not outward signs. But again, why do we do that? Well, of course we do it because the Catholic Church knows, I think better than anyone, that we are corporeal material creatures and we need this sacramental reality to teach us about the need for inward conversion. And you really, again, I think got us right to the point there when you said that it is ultimately about that conversion of the heart. So all of these outward practices, what are they all ultimately oriented towards? They're ultimately oriented towards the Father trying to reclaim our hearts. Jesus dying on the cross, inviting us to die with him so that our hearts can be reclaimed for the Father. We know as Christians that we are all involved in this cosmic battle between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And so there's really two forces out there that want to take our hearts, that want to steal our hearts. The one, God the Father and Jesus' Son, the other, Lucifer, Satan, the evil one. But like you say, I think all of this fasting, all of this prayer, all of this almsgiving, if it's not oriented towards love, if it's not oriented towards making our hearts into hearts of flesh, as Ezekiel tells us, then all of it's a waste of time. And so that has to be what we constantly return to. And that's why Jesus is so often warning the Pharisees. Jesus never says to the Pharisees, don't worry about the external things. He never says these are unimportant or these are evil. What he says is, though it's okay, you have to keep it in right perspective. That all of these outward workings of the law are ultimately about something much more important, which is your inward holiness. I think it. I think what you're saying is so important. I mean, I have a million thoughts, Clem, running through my head right now based on what you just said. You, you again. You mentioned the battle earlier. You mentioned the struggle. This is what Holy Mother Church gives us to help us in this battle. We, Joe and I on the show all the time, we bring up Catechism 409. In other words, mm. all of human history is a dour combat between man and the forces of evil. Mm. 
And it's in the struggle and aided by God's grace that man finds his own inner integrity. Now, I'm paraphrasing it, okay? Mm -hmm. But that's, I think, what we have to realize. I think the struggle is important. I'm notoriously guilty, Clem Harrow, of beating myself up when I fail. Mm -hmm. But then when I read that, I say, no, that's part of the struggle. Mm -hmm. If it was easy, I'd be getting an A+. Plus. But it's yeah. not easy, okay? No, and we, I think we have to accept that because there are there's three camps. There's obviously those who are struggling to do the good, to strive for the good, the true, and the beautiful, which is Christ, okay? Those who are anti-Christ, okay, mm -hmm. and who, who have made themselves into his enemies. But then there's this whole swath of people in the middle that we're trying to get our message across to. Yes. Yeah. Talk about the need to try to get people out of now. I know that many in the church don't like when we use the word lukewarm, but let's mm. let's call it what it is. Jesus used yeah. the word lukewarm. OK, yeah. those who give God nothing to even work with, at least those mm -hmm. who are against him, give him something to work with. OK, yeah. talk about the need to 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 get out to those people, particularly in this culture. That's just quite quite frankly convinced there is no such thing as good and evil and as, as right and wrong, or no such thing as sin. If you don't mind commenting on that, Clem Harrow. For sure. I, like I said at the beginning, being raised in England, it is this, this sort of spiritually barren wilderness, and there's an almost institutionalized lukewarmness in the UK, which is very sad to see. And, and to your point, perhaps you're beginning to see that in certain parts of the States, but I would say, as American Catholics, you guys uh, should be not only grateful for what you have, but proud of what you still have. And you should realize there's something here in this country worth defending. Because when you look to Western Europe, when you look to Northern Europe, you realize that give it another 10, 20 years and things can get really, really bad. And that lukewarmness, as you identify correctly, Joe, is, is, is perverse. It is from the evil one. You know, Jesus actually tells us in the Gospels, he says, you're either for me or against me. And so he seems to be implying that at the end of the day, they're really are just two camps. It's the sheep and the goats. And who knows that better than anyone? It's Lucifer. It's Satan. He knows and he thrives on that middle camp of people who just don't want to be bothered, who just uh, have too much going on, who can't make time for God or religion. How do we reach them? Well, I think we reach them with this radical gospel message in all its fullness, with, without anything taken away and without a sort of fear of what the world might think or how we might be judged or how we might be mocked. I think we return to what the early church did, which is that we have this, this confidence, this joy, and this love, which we know will change the world. Why? Because it already did change the world. I'm reminded of the story of uh, the Emperor Julian the Apostate, who was writing to one of his friends, and he was complaining because he was a pagan emperor. He hated the Christians, but he was complaining that the Christians are making us Romans look bad because they're taking care of our own widows and orphans. They're taking care of our own poor and sick, and we need to up our game. And imagine if that was what people were saying about Christians and Catholics today. They said, hey, I, I think they're kind of crazy. I don't agree with their theology, but I can't deny that they have this love. They have this radical peace, this radical confidence in God's providence, which I can't explain. And I think if we could do that, then maybe we would finally be able to pierce through some of that lukewarmness, which sometimes feels a mile thick. You hit it right on the head. That's Joe. what Father Barron says, Bishop Barron. That's the lightning of Christianity. Like the distance between the head and the heart is vast. Mm. Like I've told the story a million times. I used to have a friend who was an engineer and we went to a lecture and it was a fantastic lecture on the existence of God through philosophy. And at the end of the lecture, he's like, I don't agree with the math. I was like, how can you not? It was so perfectly said. It could not have been said better. Yeah. I don't agree with the math. But what people will agree with is what you just said. Mm. It's that example. It can't be denied. Mm. It stops people in traffic. Like, it, like the hardest heart is like, whoa, what did I just see? What did I just see you do? There lies the power of Christ. That's how we change the world. And fasting and praying and almsgiving change us in order to do that. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, let me ask you this, Clem Harold, um, who's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. And we're discussing his recent book, Journey Through Lent, Reflections on the Daily Mass Readings, available at the St. Paul Center. 
Man, there's like so many questions I want to ask you, Clement. Unfortunately, we, you know, because it's radio, we're not going to get to the time to do it, but we're going to keep it. We're going to keep moving along. Um, Holy Week. Holy Week. It's next mm. week. Okay. Mm. Very, very important week um, and is the apex of the Lenten season. Okay. Um, that's where everything we've done for this 40 days, struggled through whatever the case might be. Um, this is, this is our, our, our focal, you know, our focal point. How did you approach the reflections for this particular time these the these several days the triduum like how how did you approach that holy week was definitely the the time of lent where i was most acutely aware of my limitations as an author realizing i am dealing with mysteries far beyond myself and and wrestling again with how do i even begin to share or reflect in any meaningful way on these foundational episodes in the life of christ and in the life of every christian on palm sunday we have the first passion account, again, obviously, on Good Friday. And throughout that week, we have everything heating up and coming to a head with Calvary and then ultimately with the empty tomb. And so what I tried to do, Joe, with Holy Week was really, again, recognizing my limitations. I tried to turn more and more when I could to the tradition, realizing that people don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from the Holy Spirit talking through the scriptures and then enlightening people who have come before us who have helped to unpack those scriptures. On Good Friday, for example, I draw on a famous homily from St. John Henry Newman, one of my countrymen who was canonized a couple of years ago. And he talks in that homily about the mental sufferings of our Lord. And I really try to unfold for the reader the way in which when Jesus hung on that cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps your listeners will know it's Psalm 22. It's ultimately a Psalm of trust. Jesus is not showing a lack of faith in God, but at the same time, there's many Psalms of trust out there, and he chooses this particular one, and why is that? Because in that moment, he did feel truly God-forsaken, because Jesus, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, he so entered into our suffering, into our brokenness, into our fears, that he took on himself even the fear that God is no longer looking out for me. And it's a mystery so profound that it's hard to even begin to get our heads around. But that's what St. John Henry Newman tries to unpack is that we're not talking just the physical sufferings of our Lord, but also the psychological and the spiritual sufferings. The way that he took upon himself every sin ever committed, every evil deed ever thought, ever done. And he allowed all of that brokenness and darkness to be laid upon him for three hours as he hung on that cross. And so... To answer your question, in brief, I suppose, what did I do for Holy Week? It was trying to turn to the voices of the tradition to see how they could show us how to go deeper during this holiest of weeks. Absolutely. Clem Harold joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach. Joe, I know you had a question. No, I mean, you, you talk about the mental hardships he endured. I mean, obviously, we pray the sorrowful mysteries when we pray the rosary. Um you know, it is the first one, uh, the agony in the garden. And something I always emphasize um, on the show, but also outside of the show in my life, Jesus prayed and Jesus stayed. That's my rhyme. If anyone wants to remember it, remember it. Jesus prayed and that's why he stayed. Talk about when we face things in life and we all face things, no matter who you are, when you stay connected to the church through the sacraments, through prayer, you will persevere. Notice the apostles slept, they cut out. And I, I talk about that because I think that is a takeaway from the passion to reflect upon not just during Lent, but also when we pray our sorrowful mysteries in the rosary. Absolutely. That's a beautiful takeaway. And I like what you said there that I often think, when Jesus is in the garden and then when he, uh, when his betrayer comes, when Judas comes and the Romans come and all the disciples flee, that for him, that night, the last night of his earthly life, I, I can't help but wonder if, if the greatest suffering of all wasn't the fear of all the tremendous pain that would await him the next day. But maybe, Joe, to your point, maybe the greatest suffering of all was that sense of betrayal, that he'd been left by the very ones who he loved, the very ones he thought he could trust, the very ones he'd befriended for three years that he'd given everything for. And then when it came down to it, they left him. And I think we could all think of a friend or a family member who, if they were to leave us, 
in our darkest moment, we would feel so utterly betrayed, utterly broken. And then let's extend that and imagine it was every one of our closest family members, every one of our closest friends, if they all left us. And you can imagine everything that Jesus had to go through on that night. So to your point, I think, I love how you put that. He, you know, he, he stayed uh, and, and he prayed that Jesus didn't run away from his suffering. Notice he did pray for it to pass. I think he gives us an example in that regard. He said, take this cup away from me. Why? Because as children of God, we should always ask him for good things. We wouldn't be treating him like a father if we didn't. He's not our slave master. He doesn't want us just to sort of, again, as we talked about earlier, just, you know, accept all sufferings without question, without hesitation, without complaint. No, actually, he wants us to work through and be children and say, hey, please do remove this. Remove this cancer from me. Remove this, this heartache. But at the same time, how does Jesus follow it up? Not my will, but your will be done. And in that way, he gives us the perfect model. So Jesus stayed by praying through the suffering, by being willing to enter into it, by not being afraid of it. And the disciples, I think, remind us very often of ourselves that so often we are terrified of the suffering. We're, we're terrified of the demands of the gospel. But then again, as you say, I think the way that we stay on track, the way we keep courage and fortitude is through that daily practice of prayer. That always has to be at the center of our lives. That's what's going to give us the grace to realize we can't do this on our own, but he can do it in us. That's one of the things, uh, you know, in when I read scripture, um, I try to keep in mind. Because like I said, Clem, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, one of these guys that's always beating himself up. But I, I, I hate the fact that I fall short. You know, we, we go to confession for that. We say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I fell. I'm sorry I sinned. Um, but it's always it is always encouraging to know that, yes, l l you know, the, the greatest Christians, of course, outside of Mother Mary and St. Joseph are the apostles. OK, mm -hmm. and they ran away from him. And it's, it's a but it's a good reminder to always return to him, you know, um, and, and, and I think that, it, you know, it's an important lesson. Another thing that, that struck me is you mentioned, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? That's why I again, I'm hammering it over and over that we need to avail ourselves from for of all the resources that are out there. Um, and if you're just joining us, Clem Harold is one of them, the St. Paul Center, where he is the, um, he is, I'm sorry, junior research fellow. He's recently written a book, Journey Through Lent Reflections on the Daily Mass. That's why we have to avail ourselves of these. I heard that recently. In other words, because I seek out those who know more than me. If you just mm -hmm. hear, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? You think, wow, that's crazy. It's almost a drive you to despair until somebody tells you, no, that's the first line of the 22nd Psalm. You should yeah. read the rest of the Psalm. It's actually, he's not despairing. Um, you know, but again, I'm only emphasizing the idea of, of continue. Yes. Joe mentions him. You've mentioned uh, continual growth in holiness, ascetical mm -hmm. practices, prayer, penance, and almsgiving, all of it. But let's educate ourselves to let's pray for the desire to educate ourselves. How's that? If you want, if you want to throw that out there, um, so Joe, I'm sorry. Where do you want to go? Now, I want to talk about our personal sufferings because, to be honest with you, God does. God wastes nothing. You know, I've learned that in my own life. Life is a mosaic, and He wastes nothing. And when you, you, you know, my dad used to always say to me, he'd say like, you know, the next day things will be better. Everything ends you know, both good and bad, it ends, you know, mm. but through suffering, it's hard sometimes to see that end, but to know that there's a purpose for it, to refine us, to teach us something. The passion teaches us something in a very real way, but talk about our own personal sufferings. It's very easy, you know, to say, oh, I embrace my sufferings. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of hard things to deal with in this life. As Father Benedict Groeschel used to say, if you haven't raised your fist up to God, oh, wait, you will. Because yeah. it's true, no matter who you are. Yeah. Talk about how when those things happen, to look through the, the tunnel, to know when it ends, there's something to be learned. It's such a difficult subject to speak on, I think, because... For someone who has experienced intense suffering, anything that somebody says, it's so easy for that just to feel trite and superficial. And I think from the outset, when we're talking about suffering, we have to have this, this sort of humility where we recognize that you listeners have likely been through suffering, which I have never experienced and which I can't fully relate to. And so often when people tell us said, oh, I know what that's like. I know how hard it is. I imagine that's really difficult. 
inwardly we're thinking, no, you don't. You have no idea how hard this is. You can only imagine how hard it is. You can't fully relate. And so I think just saying from the outset, like suffering comes in so many forms and it is so tremendously difficult. It's something which is so basic to our experience as humans, but also it's something which we feel in many different ways and to different degrees. There are people in my life who clearly have suffered far more than others. And it would be false to say, oh, everyone suffers the same just in different ways. I don't think that's true. I think there are certain people who God actually asks more of in this way, whether it's physical suffering, some ailment in themselves physically, whether it's emotional suffering, whether it's betrayal or divorce, whether it's suffering related to their children, physically or emotionally or spiritually, all these things, so many different kinds, and they hurt us in so many different ways. But what is that light at the end of the tunnel that you talked about, Joe? I think ultimately as Christians, I love that, that image. I hadn't heard that by Father Benedict, that recognition that we are never going to fully solve this, this side of the grave, that there is a mystery here, which we can't fully plumb the depths of, that there is something about suffering, which we ultimately don't know why it has to be this way. But what we know as Christians what we say as Christians is that God the Father has entered into the suffering through his son. We know that Jesus himself wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And if you go and read that image in John 11, it's, I think, one of the most beautiful scenes in sacred scripture, where first Martha comes to him and says, my Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus gives her sort of the stock theology. He gives her the preaching. He says, yeah, well, there'll be the resurrection at the end of the world. But then Mary comes, Mary, the more contemplative perhaps the closer friend of Jesus. And she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And seeing her in distress, what does our Lord do? He doesn't give the theology. He doesn't give the preaching. He simply bursts into tears. And that in my own life, seeing suffering in myself, and even more so in the lives of those around me, has been a source of great consolation. We've all had that moment where in the face of great difficulty, great stress, great trauma, we can't even get the words out. We begin to choke up and the tears begin to fall. And to know that God himself, Jesus Christ, went through that. Again, it doesn't explain why it has to be this way. I don't think we can fully know why it has to be this way. That's the answer of Job in the Old Testament is God is God. He has his reasons. There is a greater purpose, which we're not fully cognizant of. But we know that in every moment of our suffering, Jesus is there with us. He holds us by the hand. He feels it just as much as we feel it, only more so, and he shows us the way forward. He shows us it's going to be worth it. He helps us to get through it, and he teaches us that there is not one ounce of our suffering that won't be transformed into love, and I think that was what you began with, Joe, is that none of it is wasted. Every little drop of my suffering will somehow mysteriously be turned into love, and I think that's part of the joy of the gospel. Again, it doesn't take away the pain, but it says there's a reason for the pain, and it will come to an end with the new heavens, with the new earth, when every tear will be wiped away. One thing I love about what you said, Clem Harrell, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, is it's such, I'm so happy you said that, because I think a lot of people that might be listening to us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network are confronted with that at times. And I, again, listening to other people, all right, um, in my journey, is that I don't know the answer to pain and suffering. And this really puts the, you know, if you want to judge Christianity on Christianity, then you need to judge us by what we actually believe, particularly atheists out there who think it's almost like a gotcha kind of thing when they, they come at you like the Christopher Hitchens of the world. That, why, why does God allow...